you want to get your Bibles out, we're in Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, give you time to find that. We'll also have it um, up on the screens um, as well, but would certainly just encourage you um, to turn there and follow along. We're in this um, series of Ezra called God is Here, We Are Here. Now, the, the macro big picture look on the book of Ezra is God returning to Jerusalem, his presence returning so that people can then begin to engage him in relatable passions, practices, and places. So God is, is coming back. He says that I'm returning because you have, have repented and made your ways right and worked in your relationships with me. So we've been working verse by verse for a long time through the book of Ezra in order to unpack all the good truths and, and all the things that lie within there that we might take and pull from and use not only for our lives but for the benefit of others that are around us. And that is certainly the case here um, in these um, sections. So we're now moving into the part where the temple is finished and being dedicated, which has been a long time coming, right? There was that 70-year prophecy before they could return. Then they took another 16 years off because they just wanted to focus on me. So to focus on my job and my house. So God sends Haggai and Zechariah to them as prophets and says, look, my house lies in ruin, which is what happens when we focus on me, that our relationship with God lies in ruin and things begin to fall apart in all areas of their life. They see that, they repent, they turn from their ways, they come back and we are now in this process of this celebration of the temple being returned. So um, let's dive into the scripture here in Ezra chapter 6 verses 14 through 16. So, and the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Edo. They finished their building by the decree of God of Israel, the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Verse 15, and this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Verse 16, and the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. This had been such a long time coming. So it was having God had blessed them in their personal relationships and their commitment. So then he begins to bless them in community. And, and then now they're finally, after all the persecution and all the pressure and all the doubts, they're receiving this great joy and this great blessing and sharing it with other people. Like the house is done. It's completed. And we want everyone to know. If you've ever done a big project in school, if you've ever done a big project for work or built your own house or however that works, when it's finally completed, you just breathe out and you're just so excited and you just tell everyone about it, right? You're like, look at this that we did and look at that that took place. And you, you start showing people around like they're your new realtor and like, look, we painted this room and this washer machine's new. And you're just excited about all that's happening. And finally, they are here to this point to see this temple finished. But what it means for them also is it's something more than just it being done, but that but now there's a an, an intimacy with God that they can have that they hadn't had before. There's a place where they can now go beyond the altar that they first built to get with the Lord and go, man, how do I deal with all my troubles, doubts, sorrows, and, and the dumpster fire that is my life? Go to where God is. And there, that was the temple in Jerusalem. 
When something great happens and my kid's born healthy, I get a promotion at work or I make it to the next grade level in school, college, or university, where do I go to celebrate that and thank God for it? They, They would go where God is and where God's people are, where the temple is and they would celebrate and they would put out those offerings so that they could do that and now they 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 have a place to do that but also when they want to invite people to come and see how great god is and hear the stories and their new neighbor moves in who is worshiping some other false god from persia they could bring them with them and go let me show you the reality of what god is really all about and all the things it is is the families are walking by in droves through the gates and the open doors of the temple of god this means so much to them because it's a place that they can celebrate with joy. They're not patting themselves on the back. They're, they're offering hugs to, to what God has done. They're embracing him. They're committing. They're on their knees. They're, they're, they're weeping in tears of joy because God has returned to their presence. No longer is that relationship fractured or broken or in any doubt. And they're excited about it, and I would be too. Plus, the work's finished. We can celebrate. So that's and what I love about verse 14 is it's real clear that God does this. And I, I love the list in verse 14 because it's like, this was done by the decree of God who also used King Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes of Persia. So he used unbelieving. We've talked about this in past weeks. You can go back and listen to those messages. But he used unbelieving, really not God-fearing kings in order to bring all of this out. God's sovereignty and his power. He can use anyone at any time to accomplish his will. And he does and that's celebratory. So they didn't have to worry about what the government was going to say because they just put their trust in God. Even when things got super hard, they trusted in him. And God does this great thing. And that's what they're celebrating. Let's look how great God is, which brings us to this one thing that I would share with you. When God does something great, we should celebrate. We should. And we should take the opportunity from these words to do it publicly and with all joy. So when God does something great in your life, you should celebrate that out and, and, and share it publicly because that's how you know it's really a celebration, right? If you're just sitting there, not showing any expression, not talking, not verbalizing, how am I going to know you're celebrating on the inside? Well, I'm thinking it. Well, don't think it. We've got to act it out. That's what celebrations are. There's cake involved, maybe balloons, right? People can see from the outside something's going on, something's different let's celebrate when god does something great and that's exactly what's happening in ezra 6 god's done this he's protected us god literally provided everything we needed to make this happen so let me give a little context to this since god only does great we should celebrate more god doesn't have levels and go oh i don't know god that was kind of a monday effort so we don't really have to do that no Everything God does is great. So if when he does something great, we should celebrate it, then that means we should be what? Celebrating more. And we should do that. And we're going to talk about a little bit about how to do that, but it just makes good sense. Now, the first celebration that should happen in anyone's life is the celebration that the angels have that gives them such great joy. So in uh, Luke 15.10, it says this. This is so great. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels um, of God over one sinner who repents. So there's joy in heaven when someone is saved. So if you're watching online, you're in this room and you're not a Christian, there's, there's no way you're going to be able to celebrate God until you're in a relationship with him. And, but you also got to know what's going on in heaven when you're saved. Or think back 
to whenever you were saved decades ago, however things were, and know that when that happened, there was great joy among the angels of God because of that one sinner who repented. And God is saying here, look, these are the things that take place. Joyous angels. God desires that all would be saved. But then there's more. There's even more that takes place to help us understand the importance of celebration. Not only do the angels celebrate, but in the story of the prodigal son, in verses 23 and 24, um, right, the son goes away. He's off. He's just living it up, doing everything his flesh wants, takes his inheritance before his father dies. Father doesn't know what's going on. Where is my kid? I don't know. He had all these friends, but he had all this money. And his money goes away, and he's looking at the pig's food going, mm, maybe I should eat that. And there really aren't a lot of places that you could sink as low as a Jewish person than trying to eat pig's food. The scripture tells us. So he's doing all that. Dad doesn't want to know. And then all of this takes place. This is what salvation is, is so important with everyone you meet. You want to try to find out where their relationship with God is. And, it, and it's not as hard as you think. So then he goes, sees his son, run off right. I love it. I said, hugs his neck, you know, kisses him and all this stuff. And then he says in verse 23, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Because God's done something great. Verse 24. Um, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. So he gets all the community together. Even big brothers like grumble, grumble, but still he's there, right? Because even not only do the angels celebrate when someone is saved, but, but we also do that as well. When God does something, when God does something great, we should certainly celebrate that. When someone is lost, it's found when, when someone was dead, and that it's a perfect analogy for our lives. You're running away from God or hit the pause button on your, on your growth of spiritualness, and then you hit play and you start going again. And that's something we're celebrating because God has encouraged and called you back in each of those. Now, as in all things in life, there is a wrong way and a biblical right way to celebrate. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I want to say that. So let's look at Romans 14 um, through 17. Because, you know, when you say celebrate, oh, it's all, it's just party, right? Let's just do that. But here's what verse 14, 17 tells us. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So um, he, here's how we begin to get some ways into properly celebrate and engage with others when God does something great. So the focus of our joyful celebration should always be God's use in the Holy Spirit, right? It's not um, pats on the back, but lifting up what God's done. Um, it's not pinning ourselves with the medal, but instead pointing to the one who died to give it all. So when we celebrate, that's the focus. So we're not just having good parties. We're not just eating and drinking, but it's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy to, to live and embody the things which most demonstrate to others that we are Christians and that we love God and that we're moving in that direction. And that's why we've done this. So God has made this great good way in us. And it even points to our celebrations as being public so others will know the greatness of God. Almost in the goal of, hey, What's going on here? What's happening? Why are you so joyous when things around you don't seem to be? And you, you get people to ask the question, what's happening? What's taking place? Why is all this going on? All of these celebrations are meant to draw people in. And sometimes that is a, a great need. Certainly in the, in the depths in the, of the valley of their great needs, that is a place to get them. But also in times of celebration, that is also a great place to reach out to people and to draw them in to Christ. And that's what this verse is telling us. Look, it's, it's not just 
about the party. It's about, it's about doing these things of righteousness and peace and joy. So that we are the embodiment of who Christ is and so they'll know his greatness. So how do we celebrate well? I'm gonna show you this slide so you can see this. It was a lot to get out verbally, but I'm gonna make sure to kind of put this forward because you're like, well, what is righteousness? What is peace? How do I do joy and have joy? So the question to how do we celebrate God with joy well? There are many methods to this truth in the context of relationships. God's gonna do it differently for each of us, but these are some of the things that really make a big difference. First of all, uh, when we talk about righteousness, we, we want to demonstrate through calm delight, right? Demonstrate through calm delight these characteristics. So when you read the scriptures on what's righteousness, peace, and joy, you are going to find it hitting these categories. So through calm delight, right? So you're not a crazy, wild person run about by emotions. But instead, you have this righteousness, which is integrity. We celebrate with integrity. We celebrate with virtue. We celebrate with purity of life and rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. These are ways that we show that. And, and Jesus is a great example of that, both in the Old and New Testament, to go, how do I celebrate well? Well, this, this is what it takes, biblically speaking, in the kingdom of God to celebrate well. And remembering that you're assured of salvation. Right? I have this thing on my notes that I have all the time whenever I share God's word, and, and one of the sections is never get over being saved, right? Just never be like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> what? Like, never get over that. But also, you're content with your earthly lot, whatever the sorts. Because if you want to celebrate well and really put God out there, things aren't always, you're not always going to celebrate in the best of circumstances, right? You're not always going to celebrate. We just talked about that last week. Remember the disciples celebrated after they were beaten for sharing Jesus Christ in the temple? And they went about what? Rejoicing. Because they felt that they were worthy to suffer for Christ's name. That's a celebration that grabs people's attention. How do we celebrate well? In ways that bring God glory and praise. In ways that honor Christ. In ways that follow the Holy Spirit. And in ways that do that. And when God does something great, we should celebrate. And God always does great, so we should celebrate more. So I wanted to put that up there so you could see or maybe take notes, but also I just kind of wanted to unpack those because contentment and integrity, that's how we have joy and righteousness and all those other things in there. And it's not an exhaustive list. There's so many more treasures to those, but this is a way in which you move into celebration appropriately and how you can also bring God to the forefront so that when they're standing there in the days of the book of Ezra, and they're like, wow, look at the temple, and it's finished. You guys did a great job. And they're like, no way, man. God built this. He sent us the bulls and the rams for offering. He gave us the money from the government treasury. He had people, as we were traveling months from the capital of Persia down to Jerusalem, families would come out of their houses as we paraded by and give us things so that we could build and have the resources that we need to do what God had called us to do. So they're celebrating all the time so that God could have that. And there are many, many ways to do it. We exist, you exist, to bring God glory and make disciples. That's why you're here. Nathan, I thought I existed for my job. Good news, you don't. <laughs> Yay! I thought I existed for retirement. Good news, you don't. I thought I existed for my kids. Good news, you don't. You exist to bring God glory and make disciples. That's why you're here to bring God praise and credit and then to help other people become like Jesus after he saves them. So that's why we're all here. Read the scriptures. It comes out 
time and time again. Now he'll do it with farmers and doctors and lawyers and moms and dads and blended family. He does it in all those different kinds of people, but tax collectors, he uses those two. He get all those folks and he uses them for his good glory. But that's why you exist. And certainly, certainly celebrating God well is an important aspect of why we exist. Right? Remember what Jesus said when he was coming in in the great procession before in, in that passion? Man, if you tell these guys to stop praising, what will? Those rocks will. That's how much God deserves praise. That if we would quiet our mouths, the rocks, the Grand Canyon, the mountains themselves would scream out and shout out from their tops. God is so good. Glory, glory, glory. And they don't care who listens. They don't care what the philosophy or the cultural trend is. They shout it out and they proclaim it. So based on this message, what can we do to become more like Jesus? Let's talk about our gospel-centered worship a little bit. So this is you with God in your private time in small ways and extravagant ways point to his magnificence. Small ways and that ways. So they tell me, look how good God is. In your devotions, in your, in your private time when you're reading and studying, figure out ways to just point to him. You don't, you don't always have to be asking for something. You can just take some time and go, God, you're so good. And if you don't know what that is, you just dartboard one of the Psalms and read that out as your prayer. And you will praise God and point to who he is. And you can do this anywhere. If you're taking a lunch break at work and you got your Bible out, there are small ways and extravagant ways that you can do that, that you can show him that he's true, that he's good, and that you love him, and you're grateful for the goodness that he's done for you and many others. So in your worship, figure out ways and, and really weave that into time, right? That's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Before we ask for anything, before we pray anything, it's just what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Your name is great among all the halls, all the highways and byways, your name is great. And we're just praising him in that before we do anything else. So I'd encourage you to find small ways and extravagant ways in your personal worship, which you should be having every single day with the Lord um, to praise him and just point to his magnificence. I mean, it's just, it's unending. It's unending. Plus, you know what? It just gets you ready for heaven because we're going to be doing that a lot. So might as well, let's just start. Let's go ahead and start now. Let's go ahead and start now. Uh, let's talk about community. So this is when you're out with, with other people. This could be where you work, where you worship, where you live, where you recharge. Make a big deal about God and the great things he has, can, and will do. I mean, we could look back on this whole temple story and just tell story after story after story from scripture about all that God's done. But when you're out in a community, make a big deal about him. The world makes a big deal about all kinds of other things, all kinds of false religions and false gods and philosophies. But you make a big deal. You prioritize him, right? And you just tell him. And it's simple. In a conversation, when they're like, man, I'm so glad because this is happening. And then you're just like, well, here's how God is working that. Here's what the Bible says is true. God's made that true. We already talked about John 1, or James 1.17, right? If every good and perfect gift is from above, then any goodness, anything perfect in anybody's life comes from him. It's a natural segue. But you make a big deal about God in community in your conversations and in your actions. People come over to your house and hang out. Everybody prays for food. Everybody. Now I pray with people all the time on the phone, right? Talking to people, asking questions, church, utilities, whatever. I'm like, hey, we're going to pray for this. They're like, well, I don't love God. We're going to pray for this. <laughs> you just do it, right? Because I love God. And get that out there. So I would encourage you, make a big deal. Because he's worthy, right? I mean, it, 
they can keep making telescopes as big as they want. They're never going to find the end of it because God's creation is vast. It's huge. They can keep looking at smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller things, and they're just going to find that God keeps making smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller kind of things. So I encourage you, make a big deal about God and word, thought, and deed. Verse two, let's talk about service. Here's a great way to serve others when you're there. So God, front and center, um, with you pointing the way to Jesus Christ. So in the trenches and on the mountaintops, right? So I think of those great songs, right? We're on the mountaintops and we're singing, but you're, you're always putting God front and center and pointing to Jesus Christ through that. And you, and you work that out in conversations. Certainly that's easy. Why you do things and not do things, where you put your trust in in the midst of the world and the climate, that, that comes out more. Now let me tell you, just like these guys in Ezra, before God finished his temple and before all that stuff happened, what did he do? He got them right with him first. So it started in their homes as families, as individuals, widowers and widowers, people who lived alone or had roommates. That's how the nation of Israel got where it is now to celebrate, is they started celebrating God where? In their homes with everyone who was there. And they said, this is what God's done for us. You would not believe. And my grandparents were in captivity for the rest of their natural life. And they talked about how one day we'd be set free by God and be in this place. And now we're here and God has done it. So I just encourage you to constantly strive to bring God front and center because he's sovereign over everything. There isn't anything these hands aren't in. There isn't anything in scriptures that he can't lead us through. Whatever you face, whatever they're going through, I would encourage you to, to help people to find that celebration. And then for multiplication, like how do I multiply this truth of celebrating God more? We've got to make a place for others to celebrate God with you, right? Two or more are gathered. Get, bring people in. And when I talk about making a place, maybe it's building a church in the future. Maybe it's having your home and your doors open, your front porches, your back porches, however your house is situated on your property, your cars, the, the lunch table conversations, everything that comes around, you're making a place for other people to celebrate what God has done, to share your grace story, to share your testimony, to share the truth of God at work in your life and just go, here's what he did. Let me give you a place to interact, right? The whole just come and see and invite and be engaged so that you might know how good he is. How else will they know at your work unless you tell them? They're not. How else will your neighbors hear unless you tell them? God didn't put somebody else to live next to them. He put you there. You're the neighbor. You're the boyfriend. You're the girlfriend. You're the engaged. You're the neighbor. You're the husband. You're the wife. You're the boss. You're the employee. You're the one that God's placed there to say, hey, let's celebrate what God's done. And you, you will never run out of things to celebrate God in his infiniteness. You never run out. Your biggest problem is going to be which one. And you're going to have to drive to work. You're going to have the prayer time in the morning before the kids get up. You, that's going to be your struggle. God, what, what are we celebrating about you today? You're like, let's do this. This will encourage you and build them up. So let me share the one thing with you one last time. Man, when God does something great, we should celebrate. And God only does great, so we should celebrate more. It's okay to smile about that. You know, it's okay to be joyful because God does a lot of good things. And it would serve us well to celebrate those. And it's not always going to be roses and, and, and bouncy houses and amazing. Sometimes you're going to get beat up at work for loving Jesus. But like the disciples, you're going to walk out those doors and just praise him for the fact that you were counted worthy 
to suffer for Christ, knowing that the scripture promises you that you will be able to reap the resurrection power of Jesus Christ as well. We do not have to fear man because we serve the Lord. He is our Savior. So we make a commitment to celebrate more. We make a commitment to move and pursue and figure out how to weave that in better into our lives in the way that we think and what we say. So here's what we're going to do.